Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives Got a repeat person on the show A repeat runner, that's right Melissa Guillen, uh, who is just an absolute badass. At the same time, an incredibly uh, thoughtful and caring person. This is she is just, she checks all the boxes. A truly, truly incredible person. Uh, she was on the podcast in February. Then that was her maiden name, Melissa Danahay, and now she's here. Melissa Guillen, uh, married to Ramiro Guillen, an awesome, awesome guy and runner in his own right. And I couldn't wait to talk to Melissa. She just ran so well at the Javelina 100 and did so after uh, hip surgery last year. So I couldn't wait to talk to her about not only coming back from a serious injury uh, that takes a long time to recover from, but to come back and to come back and do ultras. She'd hit three ultras this spring, and that's a lot. And I couldn't wait to hear what that process was like for her. Before we get into it, though, I want to give a shout out to Brio, my favorite recovery company. I was using Brio this morning. That's right. So I had I did 16 miles, 16 hard miles on Friday. Oh, this week was a really, really challenging week for our family. Uh, it was just a really tough week, but 16 miles on Friday. And first two hours went great. The last hour, oh, oh, it wasn't an hour, it was 45, 45 minutes or so, um, and it was a grind. And then yesterday, Saturday, really long day. At the end of it, I need to get my 10 miles in and went out around 8.30 at night, got in, did the run, super proud of myself, woke up this morning, obviously pretty sore. Those nighttime runners, you know, you know what it's like the next day. So I grabbed my little Brio massage gun. Kind of got the, the percussive massage going and it, oh, my legs feel so much better afterwards. Also, and you know me, the foot massager, the real foot massager is the best thing around. It is absolutely phenomenal. And if you go to us.brio, that's B-R-E-O.com today and use code Rambling Runner or just go to us.brio.com forward slash Rambling Runner, you can save 20% on your order. That is a huge number, especially if you're not buying simply for yourself. You're buying some gifts for the family or some friends. These are wonderful gifts for your active running friends or just people who are on their feet all the time because these are phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal stuff. Brio, that's B-R-E-O. So go to us.brio.com today forward slash rambling runner. Save 20% on your order. Now, let's get into it with Melissa Guillen. All right, Melissa Guillen is here on the podcast. Not a first timer. First time with this name, though. Yes. <laughs> so this is exciting. So we're going to be, you were on the show. We had a, the, our first episode uh, came out last, I think, February 14th or so. So that's roughly 40 episodes ago for anyone who is, not, no, 40. No, I'm doing two episodes a week. No, well, like 75 episodes ago. Um, for any, <laughs> you know, this is, this is, I do my, 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 my show prep. And then I always forget at least something that I'm doing. And this is a great example of that. In real time, I am now Googling my own podcast to see exactly <laughs> when you were on the show last. Um, 308. There it is. Okay. All right. So 
anyone who's listening to this now should definitely listen to that episode. That was a real that was that one hit home with a lot of people. It was a beloved episode. We talked about all things in your past, whether it was running. We also talked about uh, sexual assault and the things that you're doing as a, as a community member now to help people who have gone through circumstances uh, like you have gone through in the past. And it was just a great episode. And thank you for opening up the way you did. However, you just did another remarkable thing. And you're doing amazing things. I had to have you back on. So before we get into it, I will say, let's address the name. You have a name change. Why is that? I got married a couple months ago. <laughs> um, so yeah, my last name is now Guillen. Very cool. And you kept it in the running community, right? I did. So my husband, he's a runner. Um, we're we're from two different worlds. He's a roadie, <laughs> which I've I've tried to introduce him to more trails. He's run trail before. He's really fast on the trails. He's fast on the road. Um, and uh, yeah, I've even taken him on his first fourteener. He wasn't really keen on that experience, um, but I, I'm just working on trying to get him back out there. <laughs> I love that. And for people who aren't aware, I think you're referring to 14er being a 14,000 foot elevation mountain, as opposed to say a 14 mile run, which he has done many of. Oh, yes. Yes. Thanks for, for clarifying that. Yeah. Um, so I took him up. Uh, it's Mount Langley, which is in the Sierras near Mount Whitney. And, uh, and you know, when you do these things, it's like an all day thing. And, and my husband's used to just running for two hours you know, his marathon time is like just over two hours. Um, and so it was a, a lot different experience for him and he ended up getting altitude sickness. So the way oh, down no. was just brutal for him. And, um, yeah, yeah. There may or may not have been tears shed that day. By which member of the couple? <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. What is that? What is exactly, what exactly is altitude sickness? I've heard about it, but I've never like dove in or, or certainly haven't experienced it. Yeah. It, it usually comes on, um, when you're at a certain altitude and when you spend enough time there. Um, and in this case, you know, he was up there for a while because he was waiting for me. <laughs> and so it, it did kind of extend his time up there. Um, and it, it just starts as like, just you, you're dehydrated that you have a really bad headache and then nausea, and then you're not able to take in fluids or nutrition, and it just gets worse and worse. And oh, um, yeah. it's one of those things that once you've dealt with it, you kind of know how to manage it. Um, and you know how to just make yourself just stop, eat, drink something. But really, the only way to cure altitude sickness is get out of the altitude, just get down. Um, right. But yeah, he he was pretty sick, had had a lot of trouble. It feels like the worst hangover of your life, pretty much. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Without the benefit of having the great experience, well, who knows? Maybe going to fourteen thousand foot mountain is a great experience. Maybe hey, I, I, I would take that any day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, hey, congratulations on the marriage. That is exciting. I know you guys have been together for a while, so this wasn't exactly a surprise, um, but certainly is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, last time we talked, you had recently had recently had, but you a couple months prior to that, you had had hip surgery and we didn't spend a lot of time on it then. Cause like you were still kind of like getting to the point of like, all right, starting activity and starting to run, but you hadn't really gotten to the point at where you were kind of out of the woods of the, of the, of the, of the surgery and back into the training cycle. So walk us back to the moment when surgery wasn't just something that was a potential for you, but the, the, time where, okay, this is, this is mandatory. This is going to be something that I have to do because this isn't, you know, something that needs to be taken lightly or can be taken lightly, I should say. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so this was 
around uh, the fall, like summer, fall of what was this? 2020. Um, I had been diagnosed the year prior with a hip labral tear, which the labrum is that cartilage that lines your hip joint um, that, you know, you have the ball and socket and basically it's that lining inside there. Um, and they, and that can tear. Um, it could be just wear and tear, just general. It could be an incident where you suddenly twisted and then you tore the labrum. I have no idea how it happened. Um, but at the time we just decided to address it conservatively. So I, for about eight months, I was doing PT. I was doing everything I could to just strengthen other areas. Um, and ultimately it got to a point where I couldn't run longer than like 30, 45 minutes without pain. And I also realized that if I tried to run fast, it instantly created that, that pinching pain, um, in my hip. And I was having all kinds of issues. You know, your hip is such an interesting system. It's like a, it's like pulleys. There's so many different muscles attached to it. And, um, once that's out of alignment, I realized I was having like back issues and all kinds of different things as a result. Um, so about July, August, I just reached that point where I was just ready. I was like, you know, everything I've done, everything I've tried, is just not working. I even, you know, I was working with multiple different um, health professionals. You know, I was seeing a chiropractor. I was getting body work done. I was doing PT um, and just nothing seemed to help. It just was not getting better. And uh, I decided to get surgery. So that was September 18th um, is when I went in for surgery. I went to Stanford um, and Dr. Vaughn did my surgery. He's wonderful, by the way. I made the trip up to see him. And um, and then pretty much from there, it's just a, a long, slow recovery process. Uh, it's a little bit longer than if you actually had a hip replacement, which is surprising because what they're doing is they're re-anchoring your cartilage back in. Um, and there's like three little anchors in there. So they need to make sure it takes about six months for that to fully attach. And so in the meantime, I just, you know, rested, recovered. I started, you know, aqua jogging in the pool, which is uh, so much fun. <laughs> um, and so there was, you know, just that. That must have been on. like such an affront to your trail running aesthetic. Like literally, <laughs> this is the exact opposite of what I want to be doing right now. Yeah. Time crawls when you're aqua jogging. I, I just learned like I would just, you know be doing it. And I'd be like, okay, there half an hour had to have gone by. And I checked the time and it's like 10 minutes. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. Ooh, uh, <laughs> great question then. What, in which arena does time move slower? Aqua jogging or, in, or indoor like cave treadmill? Aqua jogging. Oh, okay. Hands down. Oh, it was, it was rough. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of that. And then, you know, I was back on the bike and, and then eventually I was back running. So my first run was beginning of January. I think it was like January 2nd. Um, and that was my first run back. And then it was just this slow progression. And then I was back on the trails probably around April or so. Now, what were you doing to make sure that you were coming back from your injury in a sustainable way that wasn't going to upset your hip or cause setbacks. I mean, who knows, who knows? Maybe you did have some setbacks, but how obviously you're at a great point now. So things must have worked out in some degree. But what were you doing to make sure that you weren't coming back too hard, too fast? I yeah, that was that was a challenge for sure, especially I don't think it was a challenge early on. It was more so once I started running, it was really hard to hold back because I was just so excited to be back. Um, and so a lot of it that was last just, 5% is always like the toughest to like to manage. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, and 
it was just a matter of just having great communication with my doctor, with my PT. Ultimately, it was up to my PT. And I was seeing him twice a week. Um, and he would give me exactly what I could run. And he'd be like, don't do any more than this. Um, and then just, you know, um, come back to me and let me know how it went. Uh, what really helped along the way was keeping a log. So I had a pretty detailed log of every day, what I did, how I felt, any issues I had. So then when I saw my PT, I would pull that out. It was just like an Excel spreadsheet. And I would um, just read in my notes for the week. And then pretty much he went from there. Um, so it wasn't too hard to hold back in that way, just because he almost in a way was like my coach. And I've always been really great at just, you know, following directions. And so if he gave me something, I, I just pretty much went by it. And then, you know, sometimes I had to do less than that because I was listening to my body. So that was an important part, too, was if I felt something off or, you know, the pain was just a little bit too much and it didn't feel normal, I would I would scale it back just because I, I was looking at the big picture, like what was down the road. Right. In addition to this, as we mentioned in our first podcast and talked a lot about, you've won ultras, right? You are an extremely tough individual. So obviously that's a very positive characteristic. With that said, it can be a negative characteristic when pain management, instead of it becoming a, um, a, a positive in terms of I can deal with anything, it becomes, Hey, no, if you experience this, we need to shut it down. Or the idea of like, Hey, if you're experiencing a certain level of discomfort is fine. And that's understandable. And we're going to need to go through that versus you reach a tipping point to all of a sudden becomes unproductive. Where was that line for you? And how did you manage that just in your own head? Yeah, about two years ago, I, I learned that hard lesson. Um, you're, you're totally right. You know, uh, being an ultra runner, um, I've just learned this like kind of like mental strength. And I've just had this relationship with running where it helps me get through really hard things. And, um, and it's, it's, you know, push, I push myself. And sometimes that's not the best thing. Um, and so, you know, two years ago is when I, I learned that hard lesson of like, I wasn't listening to my body. My pain threshold is, is high. I I've been told by uh, a few doctors that they're like, how did this not hurt? Um, and so as, as a result, because I've gone through this whole recovery process and, you know, I've been on the bench, it's not fun. And so I, I've gotten a lot better at listening to the cues, like what's a normal pain, what's not a normal pain. Um, and I, I feel like coming out of that, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little bit wiser. So as you were coming out of it and as you had progressed into running and all of a sudden you're back on the trails and you're doing those sorts of things, how would you describe your drive to get back to the place where you were in terms of the kinds of training and racing you were doing versus maybe taking a less aggressive or intense approach in a way to kind of manage something that you maybe don't want to go through again? Yeah, I think the whole theme of the last, um, I would, what is it, 10, 11 months has just been to realign expectations. You know, I knew I wasn't going to be back to where I was when I was peak fitness in 2019. Um, I knew that it would, it would take a while. Um, and so a lot of it was just, you know, listening to my body just doing that slow buildup. Um, and then just, you know, making the calls along the way. One of the things I realized as I was training this year, um, for ultimately Javelina, which I ran a couple weeks ago, um, I ran the hundred miler. So as I was building up to that, one thing I did realize was I, I couldn't work on both volume and speed. 
um, because I just realized it was, it was pushing my body a little bit too much. I, I wasn't getting any progress. It was setting me back more than anything. So I had to make that choice. And um, I went for volume. I was like, I'm going to just work on building that weekly mileage, being able to handle, you know, 10 to 12 hours a week on the trails. Um, and once I can do that, I, I feel good. I, that means I have to kind of put speed work to the side. It means I can't do as many like intervals or, you know, I can't hit the track. Um, just because, you know, I tried a few workouts in, you know, maybe like the four months leading up to Javelina and it, it just wasn't working. Um, so I, I had to make that choice. I had to realign the expectation. And when you say it wasn't working or you couldn't do both, what was what was happening when you were trying to do both? I tried a couple workouts and what happened was. I was just having like um, issues with my hip flexors. They almost like locked up and I was having a lot of pain. Um, and then I just found like the next day I, I was, it was a pain that wasn't good. <laughs> and um, I realized that it was just pushing me a little bit too far. And, you know, when I tried to go for a run that next day, it was, it was pretty painful. I couldn't do the mileage. Um, and then pretty much from there, I was like, okay, that, that was a little bit too much. And you said hip flexors. So all of a sudden it was, it was working on both sides. It was, it was pretty much both. Um, and I think maybe it was a little bit imbalanced. I still needed to work on that stability in my hip. And, um, and also, you know, I was out for a while. And so my muscles needed time to just like get used to running like that again. Um, and you know, it was me about finding that balance of like, okay, is it more important that I do the volume and that I can, you know, do a little bit of elevation and run on trail? Or is it more important that I can hit the track and knock out, you know, intervals and, and get that speed going too? Um, and it was just one of those things that when I tried to do a little bit of the, the faster running, it, it was just almost like locking up my muscles a little bit too much. And they just, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, you have to kind of know your body and know your limits. And my body was telling me, like, you can't do all three of these things. <laughs> you know, you're going to have to, like, scale it down a little bit. Great point. All right. So let's talk about elevation change, both up and down and the kinds of terrain. Or you say, you know, we're running on trail. Well, that obviously can mean a lot of different things depending on where you are. And certainly certain people live in certain places where they have a lot of different kinds of choices, the kinds of trails they can be on from a technical perspective. So kind of in any way you want to approach this in terms of how it, it progressed for you, again, thinking about like, like when it comes to pushing on the uphills, pushing on the downhills and incorporating more technical terrain versus less technical terrain. How did, how did these aspects of your training manifest themselves throughout the year? So I live in Santa Barbara, California. Um, and we, you know, we're right next to the ocean, which is awesome. Um, and so a lot of the areas where you can run that are closer to the ocean are flat. Um, and I live next to a trail network called Elwood, um, which is just like kind of like flattish rolling hills that go through like a eucalyptus grove. And then you have these trails by the bluffs where you're just like overlooking the ocean and there's like a cliff. It's gorgeous. And um, it's relatively flat. So I do I did a lot of my training there. But then um, we have these hills. I, I wouldn't even call them hills. Uh, where it's just straight up for, you know, 2000 feet. We have this great like front country in Santa Barbara. And uh, I, I just, I love it. Just 
sheer enjoyment. It's, it's gorgeous. It's challenging um, because you're basically just going up for miles and then you're going down for miles. There's no like variation unless you hit the top of the ridge. Um, and then there's this great backcountry network too. Um, so we have a lot of choices out here, which is really great. It's such a blessing. Um, and so, you know, as I was coming back in training, it's just a matter of balancing both just because the trails, they take a little bit longer. They're challenging. They do work a lot of those, those different muscles. Um, but a lot of my training and when I was out there was just time on feet and also just for that mental break. Like I just love being out there, like time flies. Um, and I just, you know, tried to spend as much time as I could out there. So when you're going up these 2000 foot climbs, that's it. That's a huge number, right? Going 2,000 feet, you know, just we're just always on the incline here. Um, that that's that's, that's God, I'm <laughs> so glad. Part of me is glad, and part of me wishes I had that. And part of me is glad that I don't have that, so I don't have to like abuse myself. Like I feel like a 200 foot climb is like that's enough. It's more than. <laughs> um, with that said, uh, when did you start feeling comfortable? You know, going from easy running up those again, easy is in quotes here, uh, but in terms of a, like, you know, the stress on your lower body and like really pounding the uphills and also pounding the downhills. Right. So obviously you have to get back to your car or your house at some point. So you're coming back down these 2000 feet. Uh, so what, what was it like in terms of incorporating these harder efforts into that, that, that run specifically, or those runs specifically into the, those kinds of climbs and doing so in a way that you felt confident that the next day you still, you know, you weren't going to have the kind of pain that you experienced on some of your, uh, up-tempo days? It just took slowing it down, you know, just really um, making it the goal of just being able to complete that time on feet. Um, so it really shifted that perspective where it's like, it didn't matter how long it took me to get to the top. It was more of like getting there. Um, and so there was a, there was a lot of that. Um, and it, it was nice because it was just, um, it was nice to be able to kind of slow down and enjoy the time and really like notice things that maybe I might not have noticed before too. Um, and so a lot of my training is I was, you know, leading up to Javelina. So we have this one trail, uh, it's called Romero Canyon. Um, and basically for six and a half miles, it goes up, it just works its way up. And, uh, it's round trip. It's about 13, 13 and a half. You finally hit the top and there's like this little water tower thing. Um, so one of my favorite training runs leading up to Javelina was I would do double Romero's. So I would go up and back 13 miles, go back to my car, replenish, you know, get water and then go back up. Or sometimes I would go one and a half to like, there was like a junction. Um, and it was just, it was great training and and if it took me five, five and a half hours, that was fine. Um, and so that that was the the goal as I was leading up to be able to be there to enjoy that time to do that mileage. Um, and it was great mentally because I, you know, it's so easy when you get back to your car to be like, I could just go home. <laughs> but no, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna oh, yeah. head back up this, on tire do loop, loops near my house. Like I know myself at this point. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it was, it, it was great um, to just challenge myself mentally and physically to do that. So when did you go from, all right, we're rehabbing, we're trying to get better. We're making sure that this is sustainable and, and all the feelings that we have when we're, when we're coming back from a serious injury or surgery to all of a sudden you then shift into kind of goal setting mode and going after a certain challenge and things like that. Do you remember that time? And do you remember when Javelina percolated as, all right, this is not just an idea anymore. This is the target. 
I started feeling that probably, um, <laughs> so I, I signed up for all these races before I even knew I would be ready for them. <laughs> um, so I signed up for Javelina just because it's a race that I've always wanted to do. I've kind of had my eye on and I just threw myself on the wait list. And then I also threw myself on a wait list for another race, um, called the Barkley Fall Classic. It's kind of like a, a prelude to the Barkley Marathon. So you're actually out on the Barkley course, but you're doing one loop in a longer loop. And uh, I just put myself on the wait list just because it's a very sought after race. It's hard to get in. And uh, let's have it. Do you you remember the month that you were signing up for these races? You already laid out (laughs) when your surgery was and things like that. I think I had only been running a little while, like a couple months. And I was like, let's just see. I'm envisioning (laughs) you with your phone as you're getting like wheeled into surgery. Like, hold on, I'm still on the registration page of Javelina. Yeah, basically, I I don't think it was long. Um, So I was just playing the odds, like, let's just see what happens. And of course, I got into both. (laughs) And um, I found out that I got into Barkley. um, And at that point, I had already taken a race entry from a friend who could no longer run Lake Sonoma 50 miler. um, And that was on Labor Day weekend. And so that's September, early September. At that point, I'd only been running nine months. And uh, she offered, she was like, hey, you know, life is crazy. I haven't been able to train for this 50 miler. Do you want the entry? And I, I took it, of course. And then I find out about Barkley, which is two weeks after that. <laughs> um, so here I am. And at that point, I, I didn't know if I was ready. So, uh, yeah, not, I don't feel like I'm answering your question at all, just because I was already signed up for these things. So it, was a, it wasn't a matter of like feeling like I was ready. I just knew I had to be ready. Now, that's an awkward, that's a hard feeling. Like, I have to be ready for this, mm-hmm. juxtaposed to the feeling of like, all right, recovery takes how long it takes and we don't want to rush it. So do you remember when you when you went from like not rushing it? I'm going to do everything to my doctor says and I'm going to be like the perfect patient, log everything to like all of a sudden it's like, all right, we're in game. We're, we're in game prep mode now. Yeah, I so I was. Here I am, you know, I kind of see these three races up ahead of me and I'm, I'm training. I, I would say that there was a point where I felt like a little bit of a breakthrough. I, I felt really good. And it might have been after my one of my double Romero's that I just felt great. And uh, yeah, and I remember finishing and I was like, you know, I could almost do another few miles. I feel awesome. And um, I think, you know, when I had these really good long runs, they, they helped me with like my confidence of like, you know what, I'm going to be okay. I I think I'm good. And then the fitness felt like it was coming back too. where I remember early on in January, just coming back, not even being able to run like four miles without having to stop and like, just like take a breather. You know, I, I had lost so much fitness and, and also I had trouble recalibrating my pace. So I was trying to run my old paces and then it's like, wait a second, of course I'm out of breath after two miles. I can't just jump into the pace that I used to run back then. Um, so it was a matter of just, you know, teaching myself to just like slow down and give myself a break. I just had surgery. You know, I had to um, really give myself a lot of grace during that time. Right. And I can imagine your breath going, catching up faster than your legs were. Right. I can imagine like, you know, you got to the point where like, I'm not breathing hard, but this is as fast as my legs can go right now. Because, you know, considering everything that was happening. So 
you mentioned before what it felt like when you were really were pushing the pace and you know you had to take a step back from that focus on time on feet even if you're doing the inclines and all that stuff so fall comes around you got some big races on the calendar stuff that everyone wants to get into where a lot of people at least uh, at certain points in their in their ultra running career so what did it feel like as you're approaching race day, knowing that like you haven't really been slamming your foot on the gas pedal for a while and all of a sudden you're going to be at a start line? It, it was tough. So Lake Sonoma is uh, known to be a fast race. A lot of the big players, um, you know, and this year it was like you, Melissa. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so this is this was the year that they had changed the race. They, it was a fall race. It typically is a spring race. And, um, it was Labor Day weekend. And, um, it was one of those, like, I knew I could do the, I just needed to just run my own race. And that's what I did. And it was also a really hot race. And this was something that it was kind of unprecedented with this. Normally it's nice and cool. Everything's green. It's lush. It goes around this beautiful lake. And it was a hundred degrees. <laughs> oh, um, and, and so when, when it does get hot, the best thing you can do is just slow down. You have to recognize like, you know, your body's already kind of working overtime with the heat and having to do that much mileage. And so I ran the race, um, relatively conservatively. And, and as a result, I, I, I did great. I, you know, I felt great at the end. I didn't have any issues with the heat. Um, I saw people just like laid out on the side of the trail, puking, all kinds of, I saw all kinds of carnage out there. Um, but, you know, I just ran my own race, focused on myself and I finished and um, I, it, and it wasn't my best time and that's okay. That was my first race back. The fact that I was running 50 miles, you know, just a, nine months out from running again, that's great. It sure is. I mean, it's almost like, what, it was almost like the one year anniversary of, of when your surgery was mm -hmm. and now you had Barkley again, two weeks later, two weeks so did, later. So did you run Lake Sonoma? Obviously you have to be conservative when you see the hundred degree temps, but did you run with Barkley in mind on some degree or were you able to completely silo that effort from the, uh, the following effort? Absolutely. I had Barkley in mind knowing that that was coming up and, uh, I had never ran two races that close. Two weeks is really close for two big races, a 50 miler and then a 50 K, which by the way, his 50 K, um, is like 38 miles, 39 miles. It was insane. I love um, how distances <laughs> can be subjective. It's like, isn't this something that can, we can, we can all agree on an <laughs> objective thing? <laughs> yeah. He, he makes it whatever distance he wants to make. And if you ever want to, um, really dive into that world and learn about that race, that is a very interesting race and interesting race director. Um, he goes yeah, by Lazarus, sure. Lazarus Lake, and he's just, uh, he's a character. I know, and I know you can appreciate this, um, but it's almost like how parents have like their own uh, definition of time. Like, oh, oh, it'll be there, you know, in two minutes. I'll be there in two minutes. Like, you no, know, all of a sudden, two, all of a sudden, minutes are no longer objective; they are now subjective, depending on how long we we actually want to be there. Right, right. And so here I am, and I was more so wanting to just experience that world. Barkley is, um, you know, it's it's the most challenging race in the world. It has the lowest completion rate. There have only been like a handful of finishers in the like 35 years that this race has been going. And there's never been a single woman finisher. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to go out there. I wanted to just throw, you know, throw my 
throw my name in the hat, just kind of see like what happens. Um, you know, it, the first place of, I think women and man, like they get instant entry into Barkley. Um, but also I wanted to like network because the way that you apply for this race is pretty, um, it's like, it's very secretive. <laughs> and so you have to kind of know people to know, even know how to apply for this race. And, um, if you ever want to learn about it, there are a couple documentaries out there on Netflix. There's and one they're that's fascinating. Like, Yes, it is such an experience just just so you can learn about, you know, how challenging this race is, how interesting this race is. Um, I think there's one that's called like it's like Barkley Marathons, the race that eats its young. And uh, so here I am, you know, two weeks out from a 50 miler doing this. I don't even know what I'm getting into. Like, I kind of know, but I don't really know. And it's in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. Um, and just the logistics of it alone are so challenging, by the way. Um, I flew into Nashville airport, you and then you have to drive like two hours east. It's, you know, in this middle of nowhere town. Um, there's hardly any places to stay. <laughs> there's just like a couple, there's like a motel in each town. So you have to kind of be strategic. Um, and then there's like a time zone change in the middle. It, it's insane. So anyway, you know, I figure out these logistics to get there. Um, and also another thing to add was this was eight days before my wedding. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm knowing about everybody knows about this race that uh, he does have you go up rat jaw, which is a section of the Barkley marathon course where you're going up two miles and you're going through briars, like thick briars. So there are pictures of people coming out of it that cut up like from head to toe, just like just completely ravaged. It looks like a cat just attacked him. And, um, so I'm eight days from a wedding and I'm a little bit nervous about, you know, showing up at my wedding just with scratches all over me. So I had purchased these like Kevlar gloves that go all the way up to your shoulder, um, and wore those and, and, and they did a good job for the most part, but it, it was just, if you ever want to really experience something, just, I, I don't even, I, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to put it into words, but it is, it was such an exciting experience and it was just so cool and it was so challenging. It rained the whole time. So people were just sliding and slipping through the mud and, um, and then just climbing up these briars and it, it was so much fun. I didn't think that sentence was going to end with, and it was so much fun, period. I, that's not where I thought that sentence was going. That was, what a remarkable turn. Um, but I guess that's why you do these things. How do you, from a mindset approach, how do you go into a race like that, knowing what the finish percentage is, knowing how challenging it is? Like you listed off the history of the race before we got, before we dove into this. So when you go into a race like that, how do you set expectations for yourself if you do it all? And how do you go into it with a certain mindset, knowing the grueling nature of what this event has been? I just came in with an open mind. I was just like, you know what? I, I know, you know, I've, I've heard stories. I've seen, you know, how this race is. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. So I just was ready for anything. And, um, as a result, I just, I had a great time. It was, it was a lot of fun. There were a lot of neat people out there. It brought people from everywhere. Um, and so, you know, I would run with people and just learn their stories and why they were there. Um, I met someone who came from Canada. There was somebody who came from Hawaii. There were international people. It was just, it was, it was so neat. And the race was just so physically challenging. And, um, I, I don't know, I've never done any other race that, 
like didn't you didn't need you needed more than your legs. There were sections where I was using purely upper body strength and there was a down power line. And here I am using this down power line to pull my body up because my feet had no traction because it was just mud. And, um, and I, I just, and the, the fact that it was just raining and we're just splashing through everything. It was just, I felt like I was a kid again and, um, it was, it was just thrilling. And so I came in with no expectation. You know, I didn't know if I would finish. So, so few people finish, um, not just the Barkley, but just even this fall classic, which is like the mini Barkley. Um, I think the finished percentage of that race that day was like, it was 50% or less. That is crazy. All right. So talk about how this race culminated for you. It, um, so let's see, he gives you a map uh, the day before and gives you like a certain amount of time to study the map and the course. Um, he gives you a compass and, you know, he changes it every year. There's no GPS allowed. There's no technology allowed. So pretty much you have a map and a compass. Um, but a lot of it is relatively straightforward on main trails. The, the times that you go off the trail are kind of those quintessential like Barkley sections, which are rat jaw, testicle spectacle, which was, by the way, the steepest thing I've ever gone up and down. Um, and then there's one called Meth Lab Hill. He uses really interesting names. So those are the off course sections where you're basically just going through brush, going through whatever steepest sections. Um, so a lot of it was straightforward. The course was manually marked, which is something he doesn't do for the actual Barkley. So that was nice. And also there were hundreds of people there. So for the most part, you're able to kind of navigate and just follow the trails. Um, but what had happened for me was I was running with a couple guys, um, one who I had met in North Carolina we had both lived in North Carolina around the same time and we both had moved since. So we got to reconnect. That was really neat. Um, and we're out, we're taking the last loop. Um, it's starting to get dark and we missed a pretty important turn. Um, and it was mostly me kind of entrusting other people to navigate. They had, you know, run the course before, even though it was a different course, they're like, we kind of know the area, we know the park. Um, and so I just kind of blindly followed them. And we ended up going off course for we lost like 40 minutes. Um, and so at this point, it was fighting a cutoff. Um, and I think the cutoff was like 13 hours and 20 or something like that, which, you know, we could have made it, but it was getting dark. And I had tripped a couple times. And I was more so worried about my wedding coming up too. And also I, I had a, um, a long drive and a flight too. And so I made the option to just, you know, kind of call it quits at that point. And at that point it had already been like 11 hours and I had run about 35 miles. Um, and they ended up keep, they went, they kept going and I think they made the cutoff like just barely. So that was, that was great for them. Wow. <laughs> Any, any regrets after you heard that they made it? Did you regret your decision? No, not really. I was more so there for the experience. And so um, I, I was just like, yeah, you know, I, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I got to do the one and a half of Rat Jaw. I got to do all of those like really crazy sections. And um, yeah, I was good. That is cool. Then a week later, here you are marrying DJ Curly. <laughs> Eight days later. It's a good um, thing my wedding dress was long because my legs were ravaged. Oh man, the pictures were nuts. The pictures you 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 described it right with the idea of it being like some sort of rabid cat because that was yeah. vicious. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you had this this wild experience, right? This wild, you know, over a two week span, two huge efforts. Um, 
in in some inclement weather too. Some two very different kinds of weather, but inclement uh-huh. weather nonetheless. Uh, after you know nine months of getting back into it, you have your your wedding, which obviously is super exciting as well. And then kind of all eyes at that point are on Havelina. At that point, did you feel once you kind of got back, you know, from from the, the wedding and and all the festivities surrounding that? And you're looking at Havelina. Did you feel like you were kind of back to maybe where you were for 2019, just in terms of like general approach and the training wheels are off and we're just kind of full steam ahead? No, I don't think I was quite back. And I, I recognize that. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm fit. I can do the mileage. I know I can. And also when it comes to 100 milers, you know, I, I've done quite a few of them. So I, I know what it takes mentally. And part of that is just, you know, um, that alone is pretty powerful just just having that skill alone and so um i i realigned expectations you know in 2019 i know that i i could run javelina you know um in a sub 20 time i know i could do like around that 18 19 hour mark and um i didn't want to put that heavy expectation on myself so coming into javelina i was like okay i came in with a a goal of like 22 to 24 hours. Um, so in my head, I was like, you know, it's more important for me to, to just finish. I I needed it mentally. Um, because one of the things coming into surgery, you know, I, I had, um, a lot of questions that wouldn't be answered immediately. Um, I had been told by doctors in the past, like, you know what, this hundred mile thing might not be a thing for you anymore. Like you need to reconsider like how much distance you can put on your body. And so there was, there was just that little part of me that was like, you know, I don't know if I can do this on this hip. I have no idea. And there was no way for my surgeon to say, yeah, for sure. Definitely. After the surgery, you'll be able to do this. He couldn't answer that question for me. Um, and I didn't expect him to. And so that was something that I needed to find out for myself. And I wanted to make sure that I finished. And that was the most important thing. And part of that was realigning um, what I expected as far as like my performance that day. Um, So, yeah, I I gave myself between that 22 and 24 hour range. Now, did they did your doctors present the 100 miler differently that more in a different way than like the 50 miler or, you know, Barkley, like, were they, were they making a fine differentiation between the two or were they just talking about ultras generally speaking, or what, what was that conversation like? I had a doctor in the past who, um, was just against me doing any of those longer distances. Like that's not okay. That's going to, you know, wear down your body. Um, and you know, I, I stopped seeing that doctor. <laughs> and so, uh, my surgeon, he's big on just, you know, he wants to make sure he can do what he can to keep you doing what you love. And, um, and it, there, there wasn't no, any like differentiation. He wasn't like, don't do more than this distance. He was just like, just listen to your body and just make sure, you know, your comeback is, is steady. Um, don't do anything. Don't do too much too soon. And in, your recaps of both Sonoma, like Sonoma and Barkley, it sounded like you went into those excited with an air of confidence, not only exactly how it's going to go, but ultimately, um, you know, really, really excited and, and confident going into those endeavors. Did you feel the same way going into this hundred miler? Yeah, I did. I, I, I just, I think with like, when it comes to Lake Sonoma and Barkley, one of the things I learned was those races were way too close and I was pretty fatigued. 
I was tired. <laughs> um, and then, you know, here's Havelina coming up uh, pretty quickly with a wedding wedged right in between. Um, but at the same time, I, I was, I was ready. I, it was a race that I had always wanted to do and it has fantastic energy. Um, and knowing that I was going to just run my own race and run conservatively, I, I was pretty confident that I, I could finish. I, I knew what I would do. I do everything I could too, you know, without, unless it involved my hip or anything like that. Well, let's talk about the energy around that race because people who don't know it may not be aware. This is not just your normal, Hey, you know, there's, and there's a lot of energy at ultras and there's, you know, great people celebrating each other. This is beyond that. So, so, so paint a picture for people who may not be well-versed in, in all things Javelina. Yeah, this race is, uh, by the way, it made it to the top of my list. I love this race. Such a great event. And uh, it takes place in Phoenix area, Arizona. So it's a desert race. And there's a main camp um, where everything kind of like is, it's like the central hub of this race. And there are multiple distances. There's the hundred miler, there's the hundred K and then there's a nighttime race that starts like, I think at like nine in the evening or something like that. And it's a 31 K and pretty much there are 20 mile loops, um, around the desert. And what I loved about this race was it was, it was a big race. There were hundreds of people out there. Um, and then they, you know, they staggered the start times for the distances. Um, but once, you know, you're out there running the course, everybody's pretty spread out. So it doesn't feel like there's that many people, but I just love the energy. Um, they DJs at two of the, the main aid stations at the central hub. And then they had one that was like, you know, at the main aid station on the opposite end. Um, and it's Halloween weekend. And this one actually like fell on Halloween, like it went into Halloween. And so there are people in costumes. Um, there's this big party that's constantly going around in the, in the main station. Um, and it, it's just, I, I don't know. There were a lot of qualities about the race that I can't really like describe. Um, it's just the people were just so happy to be there. They're, the volunteers are great. Just um, the runners were all, you know, so thrilled to be there. Uh, it just had this great energy. And then, of course, when you're out there running, it, the desert is beautiful. It's just gorgeous. The colors all throughout the day and um, just that you just have this like gorgeous backdrop the whole time that you're kind of looking at because you can see the mountain ranges in the background and um it, it was just so much fun yeah i heard corinne malcolm uh who is an ultra runner extraordinaire and also people might know her from the broadcast of both um uh utmb and the western states in terms run her and dylan bowman did both of those live broadcasts and Cor corinne also co-hosts or try hosts try hosts a podcast, uh, Trail Society, um, with it, Keely Henninger and um, Hilly Goats. What's her name? Hillary Allen. Yes. I'm listening to her, her mm -hmm. book right now. Um, and she had, she was just like, Dylan, you got to go to this thing. It's just, it's just a huge party. This was insane. I loved it. She's like, I don't know if I'm going to run it. I think I just want to go for the party. Yeah. There were like the start, the start of the race. I mean, I just had like goosebumps, just the, the, energy and the music and the people. And, um, I, I really recommend if, if you ever want, uh, if feeling to you in any aspect, try to be out there. It's just, it's such a great event and it's just, um, it's very unique. It, they've just created this whole little world. All right. So don't feel like you have to go step-by-step step, mile after mile of a, of a recap, but I guess when you think back to this race, what are some of the 
the moments that really stick out the most for you. They don't have to be all awesome moments or even like, you know, like the, the pinnacle moments of the race necessarily. But what are going to be your big takeaways uh, while you were out on the course? Um, so this race, you know, being that it's in the desert, granted it's in fall, it still gets hot. And so, um, you know, there's five loops, 20 miles each. The first loop is the longer loop. And then it's also where you do some more of the climbing. You actually do like some technical climbing. Um, but relatively the rest of the race is very runnable. Um, I found myself running pretty much the whole course. The climbs are just so like gradual and not as big. Um, and so the first loop, I, I just ran just conservatively, knowing that I had a lot of miles ahead of me. Um, the second and third loops is where it got a little warm. And so, you know, when it's warm like that, you need to slow down. You need to make sure you're eating, you're drinking, you're, you're hydrated. Um, you ran Lake Snow 100 degree weather. What do you, I, you're, you're, this is old hat for you. Yeah. Which turns out that was great training for this because I did, I did great. And, you know, it didn't, the heat didn't really seem to affect me that much. Oh, that's great. Um, and then the fourth okay, loop. Can, can I jump in, can oh, I jump yeah, in right yeah. there? All right. So Go when you're it. going through that, so obviously you're, this is like, you know, we're talking about 40 miles here in the heat, you're talking about <laughs> two laps. <laughs> when you say two laps, it makes it sound like a smaller chunk. We're like, no, we're talking about 40 miles. Um, now I know that you have a nutrition, you have a, a nutrition sponsor with fluid energy. Um, so what, what, what were you doing again? Not to, no free ads here, but with that being said, what were you doing to make sure that you were um, oh, hydrating and taking the kind of nutrition um, that would allow you to survive that stretch and, you know, you know, set you up for success later in the race? Generally, when I run ultras, I'm really good about eating. Um, I eat uh, a lot of different foods that, you know, work for me as I'm training um, in this training block. It, I eat a lot of junk food just because a lot of these like processed Sugar foods are really digestible. They're easy on your stomach. So I was eating like Rice Krispie treats, uh, sour gummies, uh, things like that. But then when it heats up, it gets harder to eat. And I just find that like I, I don't want to eat just because I'm hot. And that's where fluid kind of really gets me through. So I was drinking fluid um, and I, I would keep water in my bladder. I would have fluid in my bottles and I would drink the fluid and then replenish that as needed. And then every 20 miles I did, I made myself a, like a big fluid. They have a recovery line, which by the way, is just, it, it's amazing. They even have a, a vegan like cinnamon vanilla. Um, so I was doing a uh, fluid recovery, like a big shake of that every 20 mile loop. I would come in and do one of those shakes and that I got see. me through the hot parts. All right. So during those, during those times, you're relying on a lot of liquid calories. Yeah. And I was trying to eat when I could, maybe just like a couple of gummies here and there. But for the most part, um, what's great is, you know, I know um, fluid was definitely giving me the majority of my calories during that time. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you for illuminating that and how how temperature can can play a role in you know the the kind of nutrition we need to take in or can take in. Obviously, it affects everyone differently, but a lot you know how that that how that can play differently in a race, and that there are so many factors, not just like hey, what does my stomach agree with? It's like well, it depends, right? It depends on how mm -hmm. how long you're looking for, right? What what's the temperature outside, and, and all of that. At any point in this race, and I already cut you off. I think you're about to actually you know what. I'm not going to ask you another question. I already asked you a question. I cut you off in the middle of it. So what were some other highlights that you're going to take away? Um, and so another uh, big part is like, so one of the factors is the race is really exposed. 
And that's something that I think a lot of people kind of overlook. You're just, there's no shade on the course. You're just out there getting baked. Um, and so I think one of the important things that kind of helped me was I, I made sure I had, um, you know, a hat, sunscreen, and then I wore this. And this was, a, this was one thing. I usually don't do this in races, which is doing something new. You never want to do something new in a race. But in this case, I tried something. Um, and so Rabbit had made this like UV layer protection long sleeve shirt with a hood. And generally when it's really hot, I, I like to just wear the minimum, just like a tank top, you know, my pack um, and a hat and then I sunscreen. But in this case, I was like, OK, this is like desert sun the whole time. So I actually wore a long sleeve protective layer the whole time um, and it actually helped a lot. So definitely for future races that are like that, that's something to consider. Um, and I think that helped a lot. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. And I'm sure you, like everyone else, when you first see that, you're like, yeah, but what happens when I start sweating? Like, what is this thing just going to stick to me like spandex or what's going on here? Yeah, I thought that might happen. I thought that I would get overheated, but I didn't at all just because the way the material was, it just, it, it stayed dry the entire time. Oh, wow. That's interesting. All right. So did you have any hip moments during this race? Not at all. Oh, which was man. incredible. I, I was so happy um, that, you know, that wasn't an issue whatsoever. So, <laughs> you know, because of that, when I ran loops four and five, so this is mile 60 and on, I actually started to have some stomach issues. Uh, whether or not they're related to running, I'm not sure. Um, but it might have been something I ate the day prior. Um, and... Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what exactly what that was. But either way, I was having some pretty major stomach issues, which was uh, sending me to the porta potty pretty frequently. Um, and and at one point, um, I could no longer eat or drink anything. I was just like really nauseous. I couldn't hold anything down. Anytime I tried to eat or drink, it, it just wanted to exit my body one end or the other. Um, so at one point, here I am like puking on a cactus. And all during this, I was like, you know what? It's not my hip. So I'm okay. Like all of this is temporary. These are temporary issues. And, um, I just kind of managed the best I could. Um, but yeah, just that, that really memorable moment was when I was, uh, I had just finished the fourth lap, you know, here I am at the main station again, we had like a tent set up with some friends. Um, so we were all kind of sharing this like mini aid station we created. And here I am, I, had not eaten hardly anything that like 20 miles. And I was really worried that I'd like dug myself a pretty deep hole. So here I am trying to like force down a bunch of nutrition. And I just sat in a chair and I was like, keep it down, keep it down, keep it down, you know, fighting the nausea and eventually the nausea won. And here I am like all over the cactus. Oh. And I'm like, that was like 400 calories. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> But the uh, cactus isn't going to have to eat for three years. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was it was it was heartbreaking. But, um, you know, normally something like that would discourage me during a race. You know, I, I feel pretty bad about that. But in that moment, you know, it didn't matter what any of it was, any of my issues. You know, it was like, bring it on because it's not my hip. And that's not going to stop me today. And spoiler alert well not really spoiler people who follow you already know this but you ran incredibly well incredibly well even with everything that was going on you finished 34th overall um was it 14th for the women mm -hmm. you ran faster than the, the rain the time range you gave yourself you came in just under 21 hours 
in a really good field. I mean, there's some historic names in this field. Camille Heron had one of the best races mm-hmm. of all time on that day. And um, we can talk about that if you, if you want to. I'm certainly open to it. But overall, you ran incredibly well. And you had a wonderful post detailing your finish line emotions. Would you mind delving into that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I ended up running um, a PR for for that distance. and. You know, it's a fast course, so, you know, you'd expect a faster time, but it was faster than the goal I'd given myself. Um, and, yeah, it was a really stacked course. This was a golden ticket year, um, a golden ticket race. And and Camille, actually, she passed me at, at one point, and that was so inspiring to see her go by. Um, just because when she passed me, just looking at her face and her effort, she looked like she was running like a marathon effort or a half marathon effort. She was working. Um, and it just blew my mind that, you know, somebody has the ability, the mental capability and the physical capability to run that hard for that long. You know, it was it was so, so inspiring to see her like that. It's so true. I mean, if you take out the times that she stopped at aid stations and stuff, she was basically covering 100 miles at eight minute pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was flying. And the fact that she was just like working so hard, it's like, I can run hard like that for maybe like four hours tops. And the fact that she did that for 14 hours is just mind blowing. Um, but yeah, it was, it was so, um, it was great for me to just be able to just like, even to the end, I was running strong. I just kept a consistent pace, you know, granted I was having to like stop in the desert and squat a few times, um, throughout that last lap. But, you know, it was, it was just one of those things where like the hip felt great. I felt great. And, um, you know, I had given myself, like you said, like that, the time range I had given myself was very conservative. Um, so when I finished my legs felt strong. I mean, I felt like I could run another lap or two if I wanted to. Um, I wasn't completely done where in the past, when I've run races like this, you know, that last like half a mile is like the longest half a mile of your life. You're just like, you, you have nothing left. In this case, I had a lot left in my legs, which was, you know, which is totally fine because, um, I just, I wanted to get there and I was already getting there faster than I had thought. And, uh, the funny thing is I, my, my brain, you know, your brain gets kind of scrambled when you're running this long. So I had like done some math in my head and I thought I was at like 22 hours. So as I'm like finishing, I thought it was 22, you know, 20, whatever minutes that I finished. Um, and even then with 22 hours, I was so emotional, just like the, you know, you're kind of running in the dark and you can see the lights behind the mountain range for the main station. Cause they have all these lights. There's a party going on and then you kind of turn a corner and then you can see the main camp. Um, but the whole time that I saw the lights behind the range, I was just like fighting back emotions and tears, just thinking about everything I had gone through, um, just the whole recovery process, you know, which wasn't easy. You know, I know, uh, you know, the way I'm presenting it to you today, it's very positive and uplifting, but I had some pretty dark moments. It was, there were moments where it's like, I can't even run three miles, you know, what's going on? Am I done? Um, do I need to reconsider running this? And, you know, so there were a lot of doubts along the way, a lot of dark times, um, that I got myself out of and through, but so, you know, all of that's kind of like creeping up as I'm trying to finish and I'm just kind of like choking down the emotions. And then, um, when I crossed the finish line, it was just like, it all came out. I was just crying, 
just um, everything. And, and that was with a 22 hour time. But then I find out later, like, oh, no, that was like 20 hours. Oh, okay, that's awesome. That's I ran a PR. <laughs> it's insane. It is a truly remarkable story in every sense of the word. So let's rewind the tape a little bit. Back in September, you do this unbelievable double, double header. You said you've never done anything like that before. And when you have these super stimuli, you know, super stimulus events or super, super stimuli events that are connected like this, obviously you run the risk of doing something that, you, that you're going to regret. But there's also the chance that it can really kind of propel you from uh, an aerobic and fitness perspective. Do you think that 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 did that at all? Not just not merely simply like hip fitness. I mean, hip, you know, like the the, the hip health which obviously was paramount, but just from a fitness perspective, do you think that that um, set you up to have this kind of run, which was, again, the best you'd ever done, you know, just a little, a little over a year after that surgery? Absolutely. You know, Barkley, you're not allowed to have GPS, so I have no idea how much I climbed, but I know I climbed a lot that day, a lot, which, you know, I know helped fitness. Um, and you know, it's one of the, this is, this is one of the reasons why I love running hundred milers. It's, it's my strongest distance. Um, and part of building up to that, it's not about, you know, the numbers and the pace and how fast you do it. There's been a lot of runs that were great training runs, but they felt like an adventure because I was out there for six hours climbing lots of things and uh, going, you know, just just covering these long amounts of, you know, just these long distances, um, building up for that 100 miler. But it didn't feel like work just because you're out there, you're having fun, you're seeing really neat things, you're visiting remote locations. Um, so in the case of Barkley, that was like just another adventure training run. Man, what, <laughs> what a great story. All right. So I'm not going to do like what's next on the calendar because... You just did something awesome. So who's who's to say that we need to rush things? But what's the recovery plan like moving forward? And do you have a do you have a time frame for when you want to start, you know, kind of getting back into more serious training as you after you recover from from what has been a very hectic fall? Yeah, now that this has like been checked off for me, um it it was just, yeah, I, I wanted, I needed to like clear this just to like, okay, I, my body can run a hundred miles. Um, so definitely I am coming back to Hopalina next year just because I, I loved it so much. Um, and I, I want to shave two hours off of my time. I, I know I can. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a goal for next year. Uh, I have four tickets for Western States. That lottery drawing is in a couple weeks. And so, um, that'll pretty much kind of, guide where I go from there. I know if I get in, then fingers crossed right here. This is what Melissa's responding <laughs> to. I'm, I'm holding them up. Yeah. Yeah. Which who knows? I mean, there's a lot of people in the lottery this year. So, um, but yeah, there's, it's kind of waiting for that before I decide like where to go from there. Um, hopefully it's Western States and it'll be Western States and Javelina. Um, if not, then, you know, there are a few races that I'm looking at like in the spring to build up to Javelina again. Oh, that's really, really exciting. I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited for you to do Thank you. even more awesome things. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you back on. One last question before we get going. How about Stephanie Flippin, our mutual friend, going I out there know. doing amazing oh. things at Tunnel Hill again? She is absolutely crushing it. I mean, the time, too, that she did the 100 miles, it is insane. Like an eight-minute pace. Yeah. 
And no. that isn't a flat course. That's, you know, that's a relatively hilly course. Um, she is just an incredible human. I mean, just Her so Her file was insane. So she, you know, like, like most people, it wasn't like perfectly paced. Definitely faster in the first 50 than the second 50. But then at the end, the last like 10%, 10 miles or so, it's like pace starts kicking back up again, like finishing strong. My God, she's the mm -hmm. beast. Yes, she is. It's so cool to see, you know, she's had a great, she's definitely had a breakthrough for sure. I mean, she's always been a wonderful runner, um, but it's just so cool to see this breakthrough. And, and I think there's more to come with her. Any chance I get to say positive things about Stephanie Flippin, I'm going to take them. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to bring it up in this case, because I know that you're, she's a friend of yours. So I yeah. Figured, yeah. And I hope I you bring well her back again. Up. I'd love to hear, you know, her talk through that race. Professional runner, Stephanie Flippin, mm -hmm. we should say now. Professional runner and doctor, Dr. Flippin. <laughs> um, all right. Melissa again, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yes, it has been. Thank you for having me again. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you believe what she did this fall? Can you believe it? Unbelievable. Lake Sonoma, Barkley, and then Havelina 100. A truly magnificent run or string of a string of runs for her, I should say, uh, is just awesome. Thank you to Brio for sponsoring this and so many episodes of the Rambling Runner podcast. If you could do anything for the show, please go help out the show by checking out our sponsors. I would never um, come on here and talk about a sponsor if I didn't believe in them. And that is exactly what it's like working with Brio. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.